Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. And it is a topic today that I think is going to generate a lot of conversation and questions. And um, I hope we don't uh, generate too many and leave them open-ended. But uh, as we discuss uh, a very important topic, the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act, we're going to rely on the uh, knowledge and uh, assistance of Attorney Brian Massimino of Lavelle Law to kind of guide us through. Hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell. Uh, Great to have everyone back for another conversation. And uh, Brian, you've written a recent article. We'll talk about that. But first of all, thanks for uh, taking the time to join us on the podcast today. Pleasure's mine. It's good to be with you again, Jim. Um, Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Act, that's a mouthful. It covers a lot of important territory. Um, give us just a high level, if you can kind of take us back to when this was first introduced. What, you know, what was the intent of this act? Sure, and uh, for shorthand, uh, we call it BIPA, uh, short for Biometric Information Privacy Act. So the act goes back to 2008 um, when the Illinois legislature enacted it, um, and it's recently gained a lot more of attention because some of the big-name companies that have run afoul of its uh, obligations. But to answer your question, the purpose behind BIPA is really to protect the biometric information and biometric identifiers of uh, employees and residents of the state of Illinois. And the idea is, well, biometric information and identifiers include things like your fingerprint, uh, facial recognition. You know, as technology evolves and expands and becomes part of every facet of life, these these identifiers are more prone to being misused. And that's the concern here is that this is not like a social security number or an account number that could be changed. These are unique by their very nature, and they cannot be easily changed. And so they, they sure. as a result, they need extra protection. And that's the idea behind the statute is to protect this type of information. So I assume a lot of people enjoy the convenience of logging onto their laptop with a fingerprint or they're unlocking their mm-hmm. phone with, as you say, the facial recognition. But I, I guess maybe a lot of us don't think about what happens beyond that. So are we to presume then that the providers of services, once we give them that view of us, that they then store that and potentially could use it for something? That's exactly right. It's it's what is you how is that information stored? Uh, how what efforts uh, are undertaken to protect it? Uh, when is it deleted? And and with whom is it shared? You know, a lot of times these mm-hmm. these different types of technology are that information is then shared with some other vendor who you may never have any as a consumer would have no knowledge of. Um, and, and so that's part of the, the purpose behind the statute is to put the obligation on the suppliers of this type of, uh, of services to uh, be on the forefront of, of protecting that information. 
because once it's misused, there's a there, or once it's out, it's presumed to have caused some kind of damage because it's just so unique. So um, um, that, that and, wraps back protect into purpose. Yeah, and you mentioned protecting employees, uh, if I heard you correctly. But mm-hmm. I assume it's you know employers require this in some cases of employees, but also. Uh, vendors right. of, of different services also required of clients. So is, a, is the law trying to make sure that whether you're a user or an employee that uh, you're, you're provided the same type of protection? Yeah, that, that is correct. Uh, it doesn't really matter um, what your role is, if it's your biometric information, if you're an employee in the state of Illinois, or if you're a resident of the state of Illinois, uh, there is uh, some protection afforded to you uh, under the statute. Now, it's interesting in talking to you know, many of your peers over the years at Lavelle Law on uh, various podcasts, uh, whenever there's a new law introduced, and you reference this uh, act being instituted in, in 2008, but we often hear that, well, you know, the, the law may not be clear in all respects, so the courts ultimately are going to decide it. You'll have cases to test various aspects of it, and um, is that what you're starting to see now with, with BIPA? Yeah, that is absolutely correct. There's been uh, a number of cases working their way through various state and federal courts, and um, a lot of cases weren't able to move forward um, until some of these big threshold issues have been resolved. So I think, uh, if anything, we're going to see more of these cases. Uh, They're going to be more frequent. They're going to be bigger cases. Now that we have more information that's pinned down um, in, in some of these recent decisions. Now you uh, you authored, as I mentioned at the beginning of the intro, Brian, uh, a great article that can be found at lavellelaw.com uh, that talks about this and, and dives into some of the things we'll talk about today. And I encourage people to visit the website and, and kind of read through that. Uh, but in that article, you, you mentioned three areas uh, that the courts recently uh, have taken to uh, refine and try and address. Can you first of all kind of describe what those three areas are, and then maybe we'll just kind of dig into each one while we've got you here today. Sure. So the first one um, is the statute of limitations. That's the deadline by which uh, a party needs to file their lawsuit to address a a BIPA violation. The second one uh, I addressed relates to what risks are inherent in simply possessing biometric information. And then the last one is about um, a very important one regarding insurance coverage for businesses who become yeah. defendants uh, in a BIPA case. And, and that certainly one I found very interesting, and we'll, we'll circle back to that. But um, let's, let's begin with the statute of limitations in terms of uh, filing lawsuits. And, and just, a, I guess, a side question for me. Are these lawsuits that you're referring to or that you have seen are they being filed by individuals, or are there instances in which um, the state itself is, is pursuing some uh, some recompense in these? Yeah, so my, my uh, understanding is that the majority of these cases are uh, intended to be class action cases. So you'll have one, two, or just a handful of individuals filing a lawsuit against a large company like Apple or Facebook, but they intend, and and with permission from the court, uh, they can represent 
an entire class of individuals, for example, all Facebook users in the state of Illinois, or all employees mm -hmm. of this particular restaurant during this and this time period. So, so typically they're class action cases. Okay. Uh, I diverted us there. Talk, talk to me about statute of limitations and what the courts uh, have decided thus far in, in regard to that. Sure. So um, a recent case uh, in September of 2021, the Court of Appeals for the First District settled, uh, at least for the time being, the issue of what is the applicable statute of limitations for a BIPA claim. Um, the statute, incidentally, is silent. It doesn't address what is a the statute of limitations. So the courts have to figure that out, and there's a couple ways they do it. I'll kind of jump to the punchline. Uh, the court basically said there's two different statute of limitations, and it depends on the type of BIPA violation the plaintiff is seeking. Uh, it's either a five-year statute of limitations or a one-year statute of limitations. And it's one year if the claim relates to a publication or the dissemination of a biometric information. Um, otherwise, it'll fall under the state's catch-all five-year statute limitations. And that has a lot of permutations for uh, a lot of litigation, a lot of businesses. That's a big, a big uh, issue to be resolved. Yeah, and again, that's a place where I think your article is, uh, helps uh, clarify that a little bit. So um, I'll divert people to that. Uh, we're talking to Brian Massimino, by the way, at uh, Lavelle Law. And um, I reference an article that you can find at LavelleLaw.com. You can also get Brian's uh, profile there, learn about his practice, his background, and uh, some of the exceptional ratings he's received uh, in his work. Uh, a very uh, thorough and complete uh, outline of his background and some of his articles and things all at LavelleLaw.com. So make time to get there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what I believe was the U.S. District Court in, in southern Illinois uh, with the case regarding uh, possession, um, but in that case, while the court ruled, it was fairly limited in scope in terms of what they ruled on, if I remember that correctly. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, Jim, the, the issue of possession is an important one because BIPA has expressly regulates when a business can possess biometric information and what that means. Uh, so there's an obligation under the statute for any company that possesses biometric information to have a written policy. The policy has to be made available to the public. There's got to be all kinds of parameters with all the intention going back to the purpose we talked about before is protecting that information. And um, a case out of the Southern District of Illinois, it's another class action case against Apple and it relates to Apple's software um, and the algorithm that they use uh, for facial recognition uh, when someone uses their iPhone or other Apple device to take a picture of somebody. And um, if, if, the, um, if I understand it correctly, the uh, algorithm will create on its own a uh, facial um, recognition um, of, of anyone who's photographed using that device. And then there's some sharing of that information between the device and Apple um, and, and the chance uh, for storage uh, of that. So there's the possession component there. Um, mm -hmm. So Apple argued, of course, well, 
you know, the, the, we're not in possession of the phones anymore. The, the consumer has the phone, and they could delete anything at any time that they, they so, so choose. But the court really dug into the allegations of the complaint that, that very, um, uh, in a very detailed fashion, spelled out um, a lot of the, the nuanced aspects of how that facial recognition technology works, where the data resides, and the court seems satisfied that um, at, at this initial stage uh, that the Apple's motion to dismiss would be denied and the case could proceed. So now it goes into a, a different phase of litigation where the parties can engage in discovery, force testimony, obtain documents and things that if the motion was granted, uh, that would not be permissible. So it's, uh, it'll be an interesting case to watch. This is by far, uh, far from over, uh, but it really highlights the issue of the risk of merely possessing the information. You might not be involved in capturing it, but if you mm -hmm. have it somewhere on your servers, you've got to be really careful, um, and that's a potential pitfall and a violation of BIPA. And, and uh, I said earlier I'm very intrigued by the question of insurance, and we've only got a minute or so left here. But, again, that was another recent case in terms of the role of insurers, and it looks like this is really going to be a very complex one to kind of resolve with the courts. But business owners may not have the protection they think they do, if I'm reading that correctly right now. Well, um, I, think the, I think the holding out of the, this case um, – by the Illinois Supreme Court in May of 2021 um, does give some level of comfort or it should give some level of comfort to, to business owners that their commercial general liability policy would afford them some protection uh, of a BIPA claim because of the way the court interpreted um, the, the mechanism by which the biometric information is shared. The concern is is it shared with hundreds and thousands or thousands of, of other companies or individuals such that there's a publication in the normal sense of the word, or is it just transmitting it to one third-party vendor where that could, that could count as a publication? And the court said that sharing it with one party could count as a publication for insurance coverage. So that is, that is a good thing for business owners who have those policies. Well, I'm sure uh, a lot of business owners are going to have questions, and uh, I think they may want to follow up with Brian Massimino. Uh, can be reached at 312-332-7555 uh, or, um, as I said, just visit LavelleLaw.com. You can uh, also reach out to him website, get the information there. Brian, thanks for being with us today. Great conversation. Great to have you with us again. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Again, uh, more information on BIPA can be found at LavelleLaw.com or by calling Brian, 312-332-7555. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.